I'm Talib Vizram and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we're taking a look at the music scene and learning how virtual reality may be the ticket for future concerts. We'll also hear some productivity tips and learn how to become your own barista at home. This is your Fast Break. Well, it's summer, and most of us are still stuck at home. One of the many joys of summer is going to see live music. But since concerts are being cancelled left and right, from Lollapalooza to Austin City Limits, music lovers will have to content themselves with streaming concerts instead. With me today is someone who has been working in this area even before the pandemic started. That's CEO and co-founder of Melody VR, Anthony Matchett. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hey, how are you doing? Good. So, Anthony, I guess to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what your company does? Absolutely. So, Melody VR is a immersive content platform. So, it's available on iOS and Android. And if you have a VR device, it's available on Oculus as well. And what we do is we try and give fans the, uh, the next best thing to actually be in the show. So, we use our own unique technology to create content at events and you know uh, various different performances of artists but all of our you know all of our content has a uh, an immersive feel at nature so uh, hopefully we go a little bit deeper to just what people will be used to seeing on uh, tv or on, uh, on you know digitally on uh, youtube or online yeah can you describe the actual vr experience kind of you know bring us in to what a concert would would look like yeah absolutely so um you know the way that we work is we'll position a number of our, our kind of bespoke cameras around a around a venue or performance space uh, and then within our application you know you can download on your phone and actually within the app you can choose to move to different locations within that venue so you know you can be on stage up close with the artist uh, you can be in the crowd or on the balcony clearly with everything that's happened with covid all of our shows at the moment are without an audience there's also a library of content within the platform from historical shows um, clearly before quarantine and i assume it kind of covers all genres do you kind of you know have any standout performances that you can uh, recommend i mean we touch you know we touch a lot of different genres it's everything from you know rock pop uh, jazz classical uh, and everything in between but you know there's there's big artists in there there's you know the imagined dragons and the post malones but you know, like I said, there's also classical, the London Symphony Orchestra, and you know, uh, jazz with Gregory Porter. So there's there's lots of different things dependent on uh, uh, an individual's own musical tastes. Sure. What are jump spots and secret sessions? Sure. So jump spots uh, are our way of describing how you move within the experience. So like I said, you know, you can jump from being on stage with a band or with the artist to a different point in that venue. Uh, and, you know, it enables users to choose their own journey through the content. And much as if you were actually, you know, at a show in real life, you know, some people prefer to be right up front. Some people prefer to, you know, hand at the back. In terms of uh, kind of secret sessions and, you know, our own original content, you know, we have two content studios, one in London, one in Los Angeles. Angeles, where we've been creating content with artists throughout the COVID pandemic. And it's really enabled us to deliver a, a kind of really high quality production for fans, but all in a very safe way. So that's what our original content relates to. I suppose you can't crowd surf, or can you? Well, uh, I mean, it, it might be a bit of a challenge in a VR device, <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. 
So Melody VR has been around for a couple of years now. So when the pandemic first hit, what were your initial thoughts as to how that would affect both the music industry and your company specifically? Obviously, you know, it came out of nowhere uh, for everyone. I think from our point of view, you know, we had a big slate of events for the year ahead, you know, lots of festivals, lots of tours, lots of live shows. And clearly, you know, all of those have now been postponed or, or you know, or cancelled or moved to next year. So, you know, the first thought for us was, you know, what can we do to really help the industry, you know, to help our partners, be it artists, labels, managers, anyone within the sector. And that's why we went about building our, uh, our safe studios. You know, we noticed that a lot of artists were live streaming from home and that was great. But, you know, I think uh, even a few weeks in, a lot of fans and a lot of managers, uh, you know, a lot of the feedback I got was that uh, performance on the couch with guitar was fantastic, but maybe it lacked the engagement that we used to, or even the kind of production quality that, you know, an artist was used to. So we built our studios, built them to make our artists remain segregated from our team so they could turn up and, you know, play in isolation without coming into contact with anyone else. Clearly, you know, safety being the most important thing, but also perform with, you know, a full back line and a, you know, professional lighting rig and, you know, video screens around them as they would have if they're actually on tour. And that enabled them to have, you know, really important performances with a great amount of depth in terms of creative, but also, you know, just kind of a, a little bit more what they're used to as opposed to performing at home on the couch. You know, given the state of the music industry before the pandemic hit, so, you know, streaming services and live event sales still being pretty high, where did digital concerts fit? You know, with us, we've never seek to replace live music. You know, live music is so critically important to the industry and the ecosystem as a whole. That said, you know, we found in our business because there's so many fans that can't see a performance from an artist they love. You know, maybe they're simply in a different city. You know, maybe, that, maybe they're on the other side of the world. Maybe that show's sold out and they don't want to pay, you know, five times the price for a secondary ticket. Or something we see a lot is that, you know, an artist will have a number of young fans and because a venue is licensed and serving alcohol, you know, they can't even get in. So for us, it was always about using technology to enable fans to have a great experience if they couldn't necessarily get somewhere in person or see the artist they wanted to see, in, you know, in real life. Certainly for us, it was delivering that next best thing. And, and that's really why we built our platform to give, give music fans, you know, really great experiences. And naturally, you know, it just so happens that we obviously never envisaged COVID happening, but, you know, having a virtual events company and being able to make these experiences available throughout this pandemic has, has been really important. I'm pleased that we, uh, we started earlier. Yeah. So there was kind of already a natural demand for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That said, you know, uh, the demand has certainly increased since uh, since we've all been at home a little bit more. You know, our installs are up a thousand percent. So lots more people are using the platform, which, you know, we're pleased by. Uh, but we're also looking forward to get back, getting back to, you know, business as usual, so to speak. And I think it will be a transition over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. But, you know, it's something we're uh, supporting our partners on as well. Well, you know, on that topic, throughout the pandemic, you were offering Melody VR concerts for free, but you'll soon start charging. What will your payment structure be like, given that many people are still unemployed and struggling financially? Absolutely. So, you know, when we started, uh, we had a run of live events, a series called Live in LA, which we opened with John Legend. All of the shows since then have been free of charge, because as you said, you know, people are struggling. We also have a partnership, which we've just announced with Bike Nation, where we'll be putting on ticketed live events. Really high production values, you know, much more akin to a, you know, traditional concert that you would see, albeit, you know, without an audience. 
The price of those shows is still undetermined, but they're going to be really accessible. You know, it's not going to be the same price as a traditional concert ticket, but much cheaper. And also, you know, in the same way that, uh, you know, that we're all struggling, um, so are artists. You know, they have a number of people on their teams which, without touring, you know, um, are struggling. And we want to be able to support the industry with also our free shows, but with also a number of premium shows so that artists and, you know, managers and the industry as a whole can keep people working and to keep their teams uh, employed. Anthony, how did you get started in the music business? Uh, my background is actually as a uh, as a recording engineer. So I started out in music, you know, many many moons ago. I then worked in advertising for a little while on the audio side, and then in interactive products as well. So I worked with a number of large games developers on their uh, interactive content. Um, that's actually where I first saw VR devices. You know, this is where I met a long time ago now when Oculus was uh, being sold to Facebook for, you know, a few billion dollars. And naturally, that made me very interested saying, you know, what is this technology? When I first saw a demo, it was obviously heavily geared towards games and, you know, geared towards gaming experiences. My first question was, you know, could this tech be used to put a fan on stage to the band? And that's really where the vision of Melody came from. And that's, you know, where we've been building and how we've been building our platform ever since. Do you kind of have any idea of the breakdown between how many people are using VR devices and how many people are using their phones? Do people readily have these devices? Um, certainly some people do. But look, I think that, you know, in a world where we almost all of us have a smartphone in our pockets, uh, we made the decision towards the middle of last year to launch on iOS and Android. And we've seen our user numbers rocket since then, you know. Facebook, you know, the other hardware manufacturers, they're doing a great job of, you know, R&D, building better quality devices, dropping price points, you know, uh, making them more accessible. But it is taking a while for VR devices to get into people's hands. As I said, you know, that's why we made the decision to launch on the device, which we all have in our pocket, you know, the smartphone. And we've seen, you know, a huge jump in our user numbers since then. Uh, and, you know, right now, you know, 80, 90% of our users are actually on smartphones uh, and they're either watching on their mobile device or they're, you know, cast into their TV and, and watching with so are you able to tell us a little bit about you know some future series you might have planned Absolutely. So I mentioned it briefly. It's the uh, series we have in Live Nation, live from Brixton Academy, obviously, you know, a prolific venue in the UK. And with that, we'll be delivering a, a whole host of concerts ranging from bands through to solo musicians, uh, but with full production setups, almost as if you were, uh, you know, you were there for a full kind of tour show or a stage show, but, you know, without the audience. So we'll be doing some clever things and interesting things to help add some uh, visual stimulus into those performances and, you know, our unique setups. But that's the next thing on our agenda, as well as continuous shows from our Live in Los Angeles series. But we're very excited to be bringing uh, some UK shows to that as well. Yeah, very cool. I, I used to live in Brixton, actually. Or near oh, Brixton. fantastic. Well, you'll know the venue well then. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever made it, though. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe you can now through VR. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and what are your predictions for the live music industry in the long term? I think that, you know, what we've seen and certainly what I've seen from, from everything that's happened is that, you know, I think that digital content for certain, you know, certain artists, certain parts of the industry was maybe somewhat of a, you know, a, not an afterthought, but, you know, maybe secondary to that live tour and experience and potentially as it should be. I think what I've noticed is that, you know, certainly at the moment, digital and live content is certainly front and center of mind. I think perception has changed around how important that is to fans. 
and also for fans themselves, you know, realizing that there are other ways to access, you know, the artists that you love and to get closer to them. I think that's really been uh, kind of the resounding take home that I've seen. So I think, you know, we'll see a gradual progression into, you know, back into live shows, back into physically attended live shows. But our hope is that, you know, I think digital consumption will, will remain and has also become something that's a bit more, uh, a bit more part of everyone's daily lives. So I think that will continue as things get back to normal. You know, I keep thinking of this, I think it was an Atlantic piece by Dave Grohl about kind of the thrill of live performances. I don't know if you saw that. I'm not sure I did, no. I mean, but I, you know, I, I agree. I think that anything can really uh, replicate actually that feeling of being in the room, you know. But um, obviously when we can't, that's what, we're, uh, that's what we're trying to fill in. Of course. Well, um, thanks so much for coming on the show, Anthony. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Now we'll turn to Fast Company staff writer Pavithra Mohan for a few tips on how to break up the monotony of the work week. Many of us have been working from home for quite some time now, and it's probably starting to feel monotonous. When your brain struggles to confront constant monotony, you slide into uncommon habits. You might find yourself turning to activities that give you a slight mental boost, like scrolling through social media or gaming for hours. Here are three things you can do to break up the tedium of your work week. You may have taken it for granted, but going into the office actually offered a lot of variety. You woke up, got dressed, commuted, went to meetings and out to lunch, and then headed home. To mix things up, consider changing your location throughout the day. Start in the office, do some work at the dining table, and then finish up the day on your front porch or at a park. You can also try making small physical shifts, like sitting in an armchair for a brainstorming session or standing up to take phone calls. A deep one-on-one -on -one conversation is different than a group Zoom call. Hanging out and drinking together is different than running together. Try to seek out this variety. Also think about different activities you can do with your family and friends during this time. You could hike a new trail, play a board game, or even work on a home project together. Another way you can break up the monotony of the work week is by investing time in a hobby. Read a few new books, practice an instrument, or make something for your home. These types of activities not only offer some variety, but they also give you something tangible to work on where you can track your progress and have some level of control. And it's a good way to add flavor to a bland work week. Next up, we'll hear from Fast Company staff writer and resident recommender Liz Segrin on her recommendations this week. A self-professed coffee addict, Liz has some suggestions on how to improve your coffee at home, since getting out to your favorite coffee spot may no longer be that convenient. Before the pandemic, part of my routine was going out for a nice craft coffee in the morning. I have a bunch of local coffee shops that I love to go to and drink really high quality coffee. But since the pandemic began, I've had to sort of figure out how to make my own coffee at home. I've tried a lot of different things from creating my own cold brew to a pour over coffee and none of it has really approximated the really high quality lattes and cappuccinos I was getting from my coffee shop. Here are my top three recommendations for how to upgrade your coffee drinking at home. A new brand on the market called Terra Cafe has a bean to cup coffee system that is just extraordinary. First of all, the machine itself looks like an Apple product. It is white, sleek, and beautiful. What I love about the machine is that it was extremely easy to set up 
and it's extremely streamlined to use. It automates the entire process of making coffee. All you have to do is buy a bag of high quality beans, throw them in the top of the machine and press a button. 30 seconds later, you're going to get a perfectly brewed cup of coffee. And what's really cool about the machine is that it comes with a little milk canister that you can attach to the side, which means that you can create a coffee shop quality cappuccino or latte from the comfort of your own home, which I was really struggling to do before. It's made by a Brooklyn-based direct-to-consumer startup called Terra Cafe, and they have managed to bring down the price of the machine to about half of what other manufacturers of bean-to-cup machines charge for their product. And even though at $7.75, it seems like a little bit of sticker shock when you think about buying it, I calculated that it costs about five months worth of going to a coffee shop every day to get a cup of coffee. So this might actually be a more cost-effective solution long-term. So then you gotta think about what kind of beans you're going to use. And that can get really complicated because there are so many roasters and coffee bean producers all over the country and it's really hard to figure out which one you're going to like. And that's where Trade Coffee comes in. Trade is a really brilliant coffee subscription program that I love. Basically, it's kind of like Tinder for coffee. Using a quiz, they will help you figure out what your personal taste in coffee is, and every month they will send you a bag of coffee that is perfectly calibrated to your taste from a coffee maker somewhere in the country. And what's really cool about this is that many little roasters around the country are suffering right now because people can't find them and they're not selling to local coffee shops. So this is a really great way of supporting a coffee roaster in Topeka, Kansas or upstate New York. Trade uses a subscription model and depending on the quality of the beans that you get and how frequently you need them, um, it can cost anywhere from 12 to $20 a month. I spend about 15 and it's definitely worth it to keep my caffeine <laughs> addiction in check. So now I know what you're thinking. What about cold brew? And I'm with you there. I love a perfect cold brew on a hot summer day. And on that front, I found an amazing startup called Drip Dash. And it uses an interesting Japanese method of extracting the coffee in such a way that there is absolutely no bitterness and it's a very smooth tasting beverage. And to show its Japanese origins, it serves the coffee in little soy sauce bottles which can get confusing sometimes in your fridge, but is really cute. My favorite beverage in the line is this lavender maple cold brew coffee that tastes a little bit like an adult milkshake, and it's been really getting me through these hot summer months. Before I discovered D Drip Dash, I was literally trying to make my own cold brew at home, and it's actually much harder than one might think. You have to brew coffee for a really long time and have a really large number of beans in order to get a really good tasting cold brew. So I was really glad to find a brand that has perfectly crafted cold brew that ships directly to your door. So if you're anything like me and you've been really craving a wonderful cup of really beautifully crafted coffee, here are some things that you might want to explore to get you through the next couple of months. That's it for this week. 
Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizran.